Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. Immersed in the Wesson Walker Show, Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ, broadcasting live from the Planet Kia Studios, the best place on the planet to buy a car. Visit them on East Independence or online at PlanetKiaNC.com. I may or may not uh, be having a new car, and I did not go to Planet Kia. There goes that endorsement <laughs> out the window. <laughs> well, I didn't get a Kia, so that's one of the reasons. But I did. Uh, I, I gave Kia a, a little bit of a look. You've switched cars at yes, the this the last it. couple of years. This is it. This is it. I'm I'm done. I'm keeping this one, and it's it's gonna be one of my forever cars until I get the Lamborghini Urus. Okay. Uh, well, in that'll six years. You let me know when you get the Lamborghini. In six years, mm-hmm. that's the next one. That'll be fantastic. Yeah. What car are you gonna get? You gonna tell the people? It's a uh, well, it's a it's a Bronco Sport. It's red. It's uh, kind of oh, loud. you're going red because back to red, baby. So you're attracting all of the speedometers now. <laughs> back to red, but I'm I'm not that guy though. I use my cruise control a lot, so I'm not the Same. speed merchant on the highway, man. Love I, a good I learned cruise. my lesson a long time ago when I had to pay for lawyer and classes and all that. Mm, yeah, never me. I'm, I'm all, good on that. I'm chilling wherever I go. <laughs> I very much subscribe to the idea: nine, you're fine; ten, you're mine. And I'll usually set that cruise control at about nine miles per hour. Yeah. And then if the flow of traffic is going more, then yeah. I'll cruise with everybody see, else. Ten, 10, you're good. I've had several state troopers, cops fly I've right by me going 10. Not big, but it only takes You've gotten one. stopped doing 10? I've gotten stopped twice. Because when I used to sell phones, I saw one to a state trooper. Mm-hmm. And so we, when we were having a conversation when I was finishing the sale, I asked him specifically about that. He told me, 10 and under, you're good to go. But once you get over that 10 mark, you're going to get got. See, well, and I even like a little bit of a cushion there. So I do the nine, you're, nine, you're fine. Gotcha. That's what I roll with. And I have gotten stopped. There was one time where I probably shouldn't be saying this, so I'm just going to go ahead and say it anyway. But I was going down to <laughs> Alabama because my mom lived there for a little while. Okay. So I was making this long trek. And for some reason, this guy, he, this, this police officer, he pulls me over. And I was only going 10 miles per hour. I had it on cruise control. And that's what eventually he gave me a warning for. He didn't give me a ticket. Okay. He just gave me a warning. But... I actually, like, I wasn't trying to lose him, but also I did conveniently go in between a semi and a big old truck that was behind me, Mm -hmm. you know, and then the police officer drives right by me after I go in the right lane, and then I'm like, okay, we're good, and then we stay a little bit under, and then, of course, he just goes to the, pulls over, and then he sees me drive right by him again. He sees, oh, wait, yeah, that's the car I was chasing a little bit ago, (laughs) and then he pulls me over, but you know what else? I had... A former professional football player in the car. Okay. And, of course, he starts talking up football with him, being down in Alabama. And you were good to go. Oh, word? He's like, yeah, you played uh, played for Baltimore? Yeah, man. I just, uh, you know, I was on the practice squad. He's like, hey, uh, 
you, you, you got to talk to Ed Reed and Ray Lewis. Yeah, man. Yeah, I got to talk to them. They were real cool dudes. He's like, all right, well, hey, man, just uh, look, you're going 10 over. I felt like you were following that uh, semi a little too closely, So, which I wasn't. Uh-huh. He's like, no, you just so, but no, you're good. You're good. Have a, have a, have a safe travel. I was like, okay. At that point, Appreciate once it. the football conversation started, did you know I'm good? Oh, yeah, because he had also a Canadian Football League sweatshirt on. Mm. And so that's what sparked the conversation. It was a Saskatchewan Rough Rider sweatshirt. Okay. <laughs> and so it was like, hey, CFL. You play in the Canadian Football League? Yeah, I was to play for the Baltimore. So it helped me out. I've never gotten a speeding ticket. Gotten pulled over three times for uh, a warning. Three warnings, okay, but never a speeding ticket. I've gotten two. And I usually, and again, I'm not a speed demon. I'm not. Like, it's 10 miles per hour is, unless the flow of traffic is, is more, then that's when I'll speed a little bit. But if everybody else is cooling, same here. I'm not about to be weaving through. Uh, my first one was really blatant, but my second one was a mistake. I was confused on the uh, the signage, so I thought it was a little bit faster than what it actually was. Mm-hmm. But, all right, so speaking of pro football players that cause a lot of danger, okay. Derek Brown. Okay, yeah. Like that one, was that as good as your transition earlier? Um, sure. It was all right. I'm going right. to put it behind it. Okay, that's behind. fine. Number two. All right, so PFF put out their list of the top interior defensive linemen for 2023, and Derek Brown clocks in at 11 out of 32. That's pretty doggone good. Said the service of Brown, his career trajectory is firmly pointed up with the former Auburn star producing a career-high 84.4 grade in 2022. He registered 40 pressures on 514 pass-rushing snaps last season on his way to a 77.9 pass-rush grade. Also, a career high. So, when you look at some of the guys that are in front of him, there are directly above Jeffrey Simmons, DJ Reader, Christian Wilkins, Jonathan Allen, and DeForest Buckner. Do we think that this is the season that he breaks in to the top 10? Yeah, I can see it, right? I can absolutely see a first-round pick, a former top 10 overall selection as a defensive lineman, reaching a top 10 spot here because now you're only talking about one year, right? Mm -hmm. Derek Brown only had the one year of production. And now as he continues to add on to that with the bright defensive mind in a Jero Averro, I do think there's a possibility of seeing some pass rush numbers start to add up for him because you're going to be a little bit more on the outside. And I'm just interested to see how they're going to move him, right? Like you're going to put him in a lot of advantageous situations especially with Brian Burns on one side, you're not completely void of pass rush. Yes, you would like to have somebody else as a pure pass rusher alongside of Brian Burns. I don't think DJ Johnson is going to be able to do that year one in the league, but at least you have two guys up front that did a good job of getting after the quarterback. And this is the thing about Derek Brown. I was always worried about him purely being a run stuffer, but he registered 40 pressures, as you mentioned. I think you read this, but he talked about, or Pro Football Focus talked about the 40 pressures yeah. and having the big old high PFF pass rush grade. That's nice to see. Like, he's getting better and better, and I don't expect that to stop. Plus, if nothing else, even if you just wanted to be cynical about this, dude's in a contract year before you can start really giving him that big old extension, right? So, I think Derek Brown, he's going to ball out once again in a uh, in a new coaching staff. Yeah, and I think the pass rush stats bow well, like you said, for his impending transition to a defensive end and an odd front. So, I think that that's going to help him a lot. I think that if we felt like he was motivated last year, even in a non-contract year, I think for sure he's definitely going to come to the table and bring it. But this is a guy, he's got a, a lot of what you want. When you talk about the speed, the power, and the speed as far as I'm saying, pound for pound for his size, 
the power and all of those things. And they're going to need that on the other side to help out Brian Burns. Can they get a guy uh, also on that side that can make things even easier for Brown? Because I think that can help him to cause even more damage. So, yeah, I think that he can definitely get into the top 10 this season. A lot of eyes are going to be on the Panthers. A lot of people are going to be watching them, especially Ezra Evero and what he's going to bring to the defense. Can he take them to new heights? And one of the guys that will help him get there is going to be Derek Brown. So, yes, I would go right with you in that boat. I do think he makes his way into the top 10 this year so he can get that big old bag. Well, and just to be clear, it's it's not an exact contract year for Derek Brown, but we are talking about extension stuff, just like Brian Burns, right? We're talking yeah. a lot about what kind of contract he's going to get because this is the last year of Brian Burns' contract at 16 mil. Derek Brown making $7.5 million this season, 11.6 in 2024 before he's an unrestricted free agent. So next offseason, you'll really be talking about what kind of extension Derek Brown could be getting so you can lock him in towards the future. He knows that. So it's like kind of a quasi-contract year as far as just how much production he wants to provide for this team. And with that said, let's play a quick little game. Pay right. one, trade one. Talking about Derek Brown, Brian Burns. If you could only choose one to pay, only one to trade, which way are you going? I'd pay Brian Burns and I'd trade Derek Brown, but I don't want to trade either one of them. But if we're going to just, if we have to choose, I think Brian Burns matters more than what Derek Brown does. I think the market would tell you that. Brian Burns is going to get paid more because he's valued more. And he also called for more on the trade market than did Derek Brown. Now, you could have gotten a first round pick for Derek. But you were going to get two first-round picks and a second, like was being offered. Multiple teams, apparently, were willing to offer multiple first-round picks in order to get somebody like a Brian Burns because that speed is hard to teach. And I'm not saying it's real easy to find what a Derek Brown can do because he's awesome. I love what he was able to provide last year. We are no longer even close to talking about bus potential for him. The dude is just outside of the top 10 in interior defensive line this year. Okay, like This guy matters. I think both of them are foundational pieces but if i had to choose one i do think brian burns is going to be more valuable when you're talking about affecting the quarterback and just the fact that you don't have anybody else even close to the to the stratosphere that brian burns provides as a pass rusher all right so when you look at both of these guys and you talk about where do you want your money to go and so we talked about yesterday with brian burns and we said that he could get into the miles garrett land and maybe beyond and his total guarantees in the deal for miles garrett is 100 million with a 25 million per year average so you're talking about going 100 mil there in total guarantees and then you go look at the interior defensive lineman and Derek Brown could be getting into, I mean, if you end up paying him top five money, which I think is what he will get, then you're talking about at least going over the $56 million total guaranteed of one DeForest Buckner. Dexter Lawrence just got $59 million total guaranteed as an all-pro. So you're talking at least 150 no, at least $160 million probably for two guys on your front seven. Are you, uh, we know that you are frugal McDougal uh, when it comes to paying certain musicians. Not so here. you're good paying that yeah. much to two front seven guys? Yeah, 100%. Like, gotcha. I, I'm I'm frugal in the places that suggest it's smart to be frugal. Mm -hmm. That's where I want to I want to go towards that direction. Okay. Here, pass rush is important. Pay that man. And Derek Brown is included, especially when you're talking about a defensive line that can really wreak havoc 
from a couple of different positions. If you're going to move Derek Brown a couple of different spots and him be versatile to play outside odd man or inside even man, I'm I'm with it. And so if you're if you're talking about the highest paid defensive tackles in the game, Aaron Donald blows everybody out of the water because he's going to be one of the best defensive players of all time when it's all said and done. 31 million. It's yeah. it's actually hilarious. Jeffrey Simmons is the next highest paid defensive tackle on the list, who was, by the way, one spot above Derek. Jeffrey Simmons is making 23. So it is interesting. I guess, you know, I, I did say that Brian Burns is going to get paid more. I still believe that. But at the same time, maybe because we're waiting one more year and with us waiting another year before we get to Derek Brown getting paid, we talk about inflation in the NFL market. And then so maybe because of that, I shouldn't be so sure. Like before I started looking at some of the contracts, it just kind of took that as a given that Burns was going to be paid more. But when we talk about the market going up year after year, like it does in the NFL, then maybe they're going to be making very similar money. So if we're talking about, let's just say 50 million per year is what each of these guys are going to be eating up every season. I'm still doing it. Like I have no problem giving 25 mil a year to Brian. And then you account for the market going up the next season. You give 25 mil a year to Derek Brown. I'm cool. Like those guys are foundational pieces, a part of the defense. I think you're in an advantageous spot too, because this is Bryce Young's rookie season. So if you get these guys, done by the time it's time to get Bryce done these guys will be close to being out of said contracts that they would sign getting pretty close uh, so I think that you're in a great spot to be able to pay both of them I agree with you 100% go ahead and pay both of those guys their foundational pieces for your team and your defense well and and even so like it the 25 is probably going to be the high end for Derek, I would imagine, because nobody's there yet. He would be the second highest paid defensive tackle in the NFL. I imagine somebody reaches that point at that position next offseason. But Deron Payne is 22. Dexter Lawrence, who just got paid, he's at 21.8. Javon Hargrave, your top five guy here there at 21. And Javon Hargrave, he's better than Derek Brown right now. Like that guy was amazing yeah. with Philadelphia. So it'll be interesting, but I have no problem investing in smart areas on your football team. And the defensive line is a smart area to invest in. Yeah, man. Javon Hargrave, especially because he's a 49er. That's what uh, Christian McCaffrey would say, right? Um, I think Javon Hargrave, if he's <laughs> to talk, if, if, if this is, if this is the best situation that he could be in compared to Philadelphia. Yeah. Uh, it'll be echoing the same sentiment as CMC. All right. When we come back, NBA draft talk, Brandon Miller, Scoot Henderson, and all of the above, uh, all of the above, all of the above on West on the Weston Walker Show Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Weston Walker. On a Wednesday, Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Try to have the ad lib in there. Feel free to share your thoughts and comments on the Garage Door Guru text line. We're going to go into some Charlotte Hornets number two draft talk, 704-570-9610. And I promise we got some pro Brandon Miller sound bites today. Do we? Yeah, we do. We have some pro Scoot Henderson. And by the way, I was not prepared for the pro Scoot Henderson sound bites. It was Josh Fiddy Marlowe that decided to put those in the NBA draft sound segment. I was ready to roll with Raphael Barlow, who appeared on the Mac and Bone show yesterday, and he was saying how he would take Brandon Miller. And so I was like, cool, that's who we can roll with. We can roll with that sound because I know I get accused of the Scoot Henderson propaganda. But I'm with some of the pro arguments. 
concerning Brandon Miller. Let's start right there and go to Raphael Barlow, Crib, Locked On Podcast Network, host of Locked On NBA Big Board. And here he is on the Mac and Bone Show yesterday saying, yeah, he would take Brandon Miller at number two. Honestly, if I'm in charge, I'm going with Brandon Miller. He provides the positional versatility at 6'9". I'm talking about a guy that, before that historically bad NCAA tournament, he was shooting 40% from three, seven attempts per game, can play multiple positions. And I think that there's a lot more to his game than he was able to show at Alabama this year because they didn't really allow him to shoot like mid-range pull-ups and operate out of the mid-post, which is something that he did really well prior to going to Alabama. Wes, we know my opinions. What do you have to say about the Raphael Barlow soundbite? Um, I think it's pretty interesting that he brings that up because how many players do we see coming to the NBA? And that's the intriguing part. I guess that's the upside that they love to talk about in the NBA. How many guys do we see in college that their games get suppressed, you know, for the greater good of the team? And then they come to the NBA and explode. So that's the thing about Brandon Miller, too, that you have to look at. And not to say that Scoot isn't doing the same thing uh, in the G League as far as having to take care of his guys being the point guard and, and maybe not going off as much as he could. But when you look at a guy like Brandon Miller playing in the constructs of that Alabama offense, being a freshman, still kind of learning the game a little bit, maybe he did not get to let loose. And so that's another way to be intrigued by him when you look at what he gave you on perhaps a limited skill set as far as what he could show on a regular basis. So I think that's a a reason for you to be excited about what he could be. So I think it's strong to say that he was suppressed because he wasn't suppressed by any stretch or form. The thing that Nate Oates runs in Alabama, it's a very modern NBA offense. It's a very, we're going to take three pointers. We're going to shoot at the rim and we're going to get to the free throw line. And so what Raphael was mentioning there was the fact that he wasn't taking a whole lot of mid-range jumpers because that's not the offense that Nate Oates runs. And that is actually one of the things you consider a strength for Scoot Henderson. But if you go to an NBA offense and that's still the same amount of shots you want to take, then it's hard for me to think that he was suppressed. Like, he's right. Nate Oates, we know what it is. I mean, this is somebody that believes heavily in advanced stats, believes heavily in analytics, and runs his team based off of that. That's what he's done. He's done a great job in Tuscaloosa building that. Brandon Miller did have more of a mid-range game in high school. And I've seen Raphael Barlow actually tweet this out, too. He said one of the best pieces of advice he's gotten so far during his evaluation process is not to completely ignore high school tape especially with some of these one-and-done guys like a Brandon Miller coming in and then moving on immediately. So go pay attention to the high school tape, and that was something that was celebrated was he did have a good mid-range. So I'm actually not worried about the mid-range for Brandon, right? Like, I don't think it's – yeah, he played a different way, but they still let him crazy loose. Yeah, and so – and I meant, too, just more so – Maybe that shot was frowned upon in the offense. maybe he was. And that's what I mean, saying that he can't do – everything that he's capable of doing well i mean it's just it was a different focus right yeah. like you're, you're focusing on more efficient shots because the idea is that if your offense is efficiently sure. ran so yeah so this is what you're going to roll with and so that's something that Raphael was talking about there now he goes brandon miller instead of scoot henderson here he is discussing why or the biggest concern that he has about scoot being drafted to the charlotte hornets i mean i think it can work it is a concern. I think the the biggest reason why it wouldn't work is getting both guys to buy in. I mean, we're talking just a few months back, people were saying that 
Scoot Henderson was a generational point guard. He'd be the number one pick in other drafts. And then now you're telling him, oh, well, we need you to play off the ball some. And shooting off the ball is definitely not one of his, his greatest strengths right now. I mean, of course, it can develop over time. But it's just a matter of can you get both guys to buy into a reduced role. So that would be my biggest concern. Yeah, here, here's my biggest here's my biggest fault with that argument because a lot of people have made it with Scoot Henderson being off ball, Lamelo off ball. Do you want the basketball in the other guy's hands more often than not? If we're celebrating Brandon Miller's ability to create off the dribble, if we're celebrating him and the comparisons made to Jason Tatum, Paul George, other high usage wings in the NBA because they are the archetype everybody values, then guess what? He's going to have the basketball in his hands quite a bit. If that's what we're celebrating with Brandon, then he's going to have the basketball in his hands in half-court sets, in end-of-shot clock situations, in ISO go-get-me-a-bucket scenarios, just like Scoot and LaMelo will. If we're talking about high-usage wings being a really valuable prospect, what's the difference in Brandon Miller having the basketball compared to Scoot Henderson having the basketball and vice versa. Plus, if we are talking about Scoot being such a good point guard prospect, guess who is good off of the ball shooting-wise? It's LaMelo Ball who shot 41% on catch-and-shoot opportunities. And it's not like you can only have one skill off of the ball, which is shooting. Nobody pays attention to anything else. Are, we te- are you telling me the defense tries to rotate in a half-court situation? And then Scoot Henderson, you're going to be able to rotate enough to stay in front of one of the bigger freak athletes that we have in the draft. Now he's going to go blow right by you and then go get free throw attempts or he's going to go dunk it on your head. Like why? Because of the shooting, we've allowed that to cloud everything else he does so well. Here's the things I hear about Scoot. He can't shoot and he's 6'2". Man, I need something else, y'all. Those are pretty significant things, though. Okay, but with Brandon Miller, Scoot Henderson is a better ball handler. He's a better decision maker out of the pick and roll. He's as good of a passer. I love Brandon Miller's passing. I've said that in, that this entire time. Brandon Miller is taller and can see over the defense. But it's not like 6'2 is crazy short. And it's also denying his wingspan, which is 6'9, and the fact that the guy is very well built. <laughs> There's not going to be too many point guards that are more jacked than Scoot Henderson is. So you're not going to be able to move him. We've already gone with some of the better defenders at that position. And here's the other thing I'll mention. Yeah, I'm, I'm going in on it, right? With the three-point shooting, people keep pointing to 27% from three. It's not true. If you go to Sam Vecini, yeah, and people are just rolling with some of the games that he played with G League, Sam Vecini's thread, Scoot Henderson actually shot 33%. So, not great, but better than 27. That's like MKG level stuff, okay? We need to raise it up to actually 33, which there is some kind of significant mark there. And then if you go pre-ankle injury, Scoot Henderson was shooting 35% from the three-point line. And then he got hurt, and then he shot 28. So still, not even the 27 that people are tabbing him with. This is the problem. Like, that's, that's my biggest thing. Brandon Miller's going to have the basketball in his hands, too. And Scoot shot better than what everybody is claiming the 27%. Well, I think one thing at play here is if you're thinking about basketball in the traditional sense of, you know, the 90s or whatever era you want to go to, what positions were defined. And I think that it comes down to can those two point guards handle not being ball dominant because when you come down and you're talking about LaMelo having to give up the ball to Brandon Miller, who's the wing that can create for himself and do those things. That is kind of a traditional basketball construct. If you're talking about guys playing their positions, you get the ball to 
one of your scorers on the wing, and, and from time to time you're going to let them do their thing to whereas you have two point guards that are used to being ball dominant, one has to, on different possessions, are going to have to settle for not doing what they feel like they're born to do, being that point guard. And for one, I guess you would have to wonder, would they be okay with that? And will they be more effective that way? Because I know that Scoot is used to setting the table for his team, being able to dribble, dribble penetrate, and do that for guys often. And so is LaMelo Ball. So it's like, how is that going to sit with either one of them when they have to sit and defer to the other? To whereas if you're LaMelo Ball, the point guard, you come down, yeah, you're going to have on the fat, like you're still going to be that ball-dominant guard. On the fast break, the ball's going in your hands. When you come down every now and again, you'll have to get the ball to Brandon Miller, let him eat. So whereas sometimes Scoop might get the ball on a fast break and he's going to bring it up. Or you're going to get it and he's going to bring it up. Or he's going to initiate the offense. Or you are. And it's like, how is that going to sit with those guys? How is that going to flow with the offense? Because even though LaMelo Ball can play very well on the catch and shoot, it's like, does he want to do that? Does he feel like this is his team? And I think it would kind of, with two point guards, because you bring up the McCollum and Damian Lillard situation, when you talk about two guards that are on the smaller side, but C.J. McCollum's always been really like a two, and he's a bucket getter, like that's his thing. And he's like, damn, you're the point guard, I'm the two, I'm okay with that. To whereas Scoot knows he's a point guard, Melo knows he's a point guard, so I feel like it could be a little bit of a clash of styles there. Well, what about Cleveland with Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell, two guys that are shorter, but also but, combo. But Donovan Mitchell is a Donovan Mitchell's a, a two guard though by trade. Oh, his with the way that he insane. plays. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's that's his thing. So he's like, Darius, you're the point guard. Like I'm a bucket getter. I mean, the, the usage is there. Like, they're both bringing it up. But, but this is the problem. Like, we can go with the traditional construct, but there's a reason we've gotten away from that because it doesn't exist entirely anymore. So, like, having a bunch of ball handlers out there makes a lot of sense. But if you think Brandon Miller is going to be that guy, then fine. And that's what Rafael Barlow says about Brandon Miller. He just likes the fit. I just I don't like the off-the-ball stuff. We're just completely ignoring about hey, if we're going to celebrate ISO possessions for Brandon, guess who doesn't have the basketball in their hands during those possessions? It's LaMelo Ball. And there's only so many transition opportunities that you have in the NBA. A lot of it is going to be half-court sets. And if we're giving it to Brandon, there's only one basketball. So that doesn't that's what doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Let's go to Terrence Oglesby soundbite. He is on my side. He said he would take Scoot Henderson because of some of the uh, traits that he has. If I had to pick between the two players just at face value, I would go Scoot Henderson. I think this guy is physically, as far as you know, physical intangibles are concerned, what he can do with the basketball, his explosiveness is at the zero point zero point zero zero one percent of planet Earth. I mean, if this guy wanted to play linebacker, he'd be Ray Lewis. I mean, he's this type of uh, athlete. I mean, big, strong, physical, can get downhill, and because he's so big and strong. He can hold off uh, bigger guards in the NBA immediately. He can guard different positions defensively in the NBA, which, as we all know, is a very desirable characteristic. I mean, I've never heard that soundbite, I promise you. (laughs) I was not going to play that until Fiddy did, but I agree. I think the height of him being 6'2", I think that is something like... Of course, you want him to be 6'4". I'm not going to get crazy, but I view this very much in a similar neighborhood that I do with Bryce Young, who is unprecedentedly so short for his position. Like, 6'2 point guards, they're everywhere. 6'3 guards are everywhere. Go ahead. Now, one thing I will say to go in your favor, I think in today's game, it can work because the game is such a three-point game now. 
you're guarding guys from three-point line to three-point line, especially backcourts. So I would say it can work in that traditional sense because this is not like this is the 90s or early 2000s to where your big two guard, Scoot is guarding him, and you say take him down on the post and abuse him because that's where I feel like it could get sticky is if he's playing, you know, you're playing a a really good backcourt and Melo has a guy that he has to deal with that can score, and then their two guard has a obvious size advantage and he can get buckets as well and then him just taking scoot down in the post play after play but i will say in today's game i do think it can be okay because you're doing a lot of your guarding as a perimeter player on the perimeter uh the bagel guy wrote in walker there's no space in college basketball brandon will be way better in the nba with floor spacing you're such a brandon hater lol man i'm taking brandon i'm taking brandon three i'm just not taking him two um, but with college basketball, let me tell you, the spacing for Alabama, they run that offense as if it's an NBA team. And G League Ignite, I mean, they didn't have any shooters on that squad. Scoot didn't have a great percentage either. Like, we can all acknowledge that. But Alabama had enough shooting for Brandon to get his spacing. I will say that. It's a little bit different than other college I offenses. Wish I, I wish we could go on a game show, man, and somebody could just sit and come up with all the reasons to draft Brandon Miller, and you just have a rebuttal for every one of them. Just quick, fast, just rapid fire. I mean, it's if it's the right move. Maybe like he hit 12 threes in the final four. You're like, yeah, but yeah the, the guy didn't guard him for 2.5 inches you, of those threes. You know what I'm saying? Like, do, you want, <laughs> do you want me to go with another one? Because during the first soundbite, I left it alone. I left it alone, but since you brought that up, how about Rafael Barlow just casually sliding in that piece of analysis? If you look elsewhere outside of his historically bad NCAA tournament, <laughs> like Rafael just slipped mm-hmm. that in there. If you look before, and I quote, his historically bad NCAA tournament. All right. If we want to look over, looks, that's fine. Like, I think it's way too small of a sample size to hold that against him. I promise I'm not going to use that as a point of hatred. That was funny to me. Pro Brandon Miller, and then you slip that in. I didn't want to get to the last soundbite with Terrence Oglesby because somebody did write in. I'm trying to find the text message here saying maybe we should move on from LaMelo Ball. Well, that person's not the only one that proposed that idea. Here's Terrence Oglesby saying the same thing on Mac and Ball. Stain and sting. I'd be looking to move LaMelo Ball to put the ball in Scoot Henderson's hands, find a way to get Miles Bridges back for cheap because he's had his share of issues, and then you have Scoot Henderson, a big wing, and then you have some a trade asset with LaMelo Ball to kind of tinker around with everything. Now, is Jordan and Mitch going to do that? I don't think so because I think a lot of people, LaMelo's a fan favorite. Heck, he's my favorite. He's my kid's favorite player. So it's going to be difficult to do that. But if I'm thinking for long-term success and I'm thinking for guys, how can I get – to the playoffs sooner rather than later, I would I would start to look into that possibility a little bit. Trade him for who? Like, there might be a, a decent trade out there for Melo, but he's saying it can get you to the playoffs faster than what, trading your all-star? Like, it just depends on what the trade looks like. But I just, I, I don't want that to happen. To me, that's hustling backwards. Uh, if you get Completely rid of LaMelo. Great. Yeah, I, I'm not feeling that, man. You want to keep acquiring uh, great players exciting players that are going to put butts in seats. LaMelo is putting butts in seats in other arenas, so he's definitely going to do that here. I just don't think you can bring in, bring in arguably the most exciting player the Hornets have had and then just trade him a couple of years later. Oh, my God. Can you imagine? Like, this guy... <laughs> This guy being the best thing to happen to the franchise yeah. since some Baron Davis being the high draft yeah, pick man. that he was. I he's the best thing to happen as a draft pick for the second coming of this franchise. He is. Uh, Kimball Walker became that. 
But if we're talking about immediate star power, the guy was rookie of the year, would have won every single rookie of the month award if he didn't get hurt. And then he makes an all-star team his second season in the league. Sure. The only reason he doesn't have a shot this year because he was hurt the whole time. I'm not trading the best talent that Charlotte has been able to acquire. We have enough trouble trying to bring talent in. Exactly. And then you want to send this guy out? No. Like, look, it's it's not the first time that it's been brought up. I get it. I just hate that idea. Just give me multiple talented players. Exactly. Just give me multiple. I don't care if they play in the backcourt together. Just give me multiple talented guys. All right. Another talented guy. Plays a different position. But he's still very talented. Go ahead, Fitty. It's time for a Fitty Flash. <laughs> it's all right to be a little Fitty. A little hometown or a big old city. Might as well share. Might as well smile. Life goes on for a little Fitty. Why? Gonna keep it with the NBA Charlotte Hornets talk. The New York Knicks, Walker, they will not extend the contract of their GM, Scott Perry. You've been very open about maybe wondering, is Mitch Kupchak the right guy to see this Hornets organization through a rebuild? I have, okay. If if they were to move on from Mitch Kupchak, is Scott Perry a name that you would trust to come here? He's, you know, he, he built a roster that took the Knicks to the playoffs two of the last three years. Is that a guy that would attract you to come to Charlotte and build a roster around LaMelo Ball and maybe Scoot Henderson and or Brandon Miller? Yeah, I mean, this is someone that was able to acquire R.J. Barrett with the third pick, which anybody would have selected. Emmanuel Quickly, Quentin Grimes are good pickups for that New York team. So I don't know if I would hate it. I need to do a lot more research on it, to be quite frank with you. But just on the initial thought process, there are some guys. I think when you start to talk about Emmanuel Quickly being six-man-of-the-year candidate and you talk about Quentin Grimes, who looks like he's going to be just a real solid player, plus trading for a Josh Hart, which I think he was in in part responsible for. Yeah, there were a lot of really good smaller moves that he was able to help this team make it past the first round. So you know, just upon initial thought process, I don't hate what he was uh, doing with the New York Knicks. And that'll do it for some Scott Perry analysis, hmm. possibly coming here to the Charlotte Hornets if Mitch Kupchak is no longer with the franchise. Fitty's favorites coming up next. Weston Walker Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. with everyone I'm, I'm not okay i'm trying to uh collect my thoughts collect myself after flounder and fitty got into an argument in the planet kia studios because fitty wanted to talk more about some of the topics that he included because here's what we do right just give you a little peek behind the curtain we have a rundown it's a nice format in fact dj ace asked us for the format earlier today and we sent it to him because the format's fantastic and in that, we have about three different questions going with the main topic. And then at the very end, we also have Fitty, Walker, and Wes's ideas. And so in the Fitty ideas box, he had a couple topics and Flounder came in here. Fitty was like, look, I can't believe we only used a few, even though we used more than the things that he was saying, right? Yeah. He's like, I can't believe we only used a few. And then Flounder said, are you kidding me? Some of those topics were awful. In fact, he used some profanity that I'm not going to repeat because of FCC violations. And then Fiddy, with his voice sounding the way it does, giving it zero rest, just starts screaming. 
<laughs> I mean, just is angry as hell at Flounder, <laughs> who keeps giving him the business. And it was quite entertaining to watch. Wes, you caught like the last 30% of it. Yeah, I, I walk in the door from getting a snack during the break and I see Fitty just <laughs> gyrating and <laughs> gesturing. He was so mad. So I'm excited when I come back in the room because uh. I'm like, something's going on. And then I come in on the tail end of the argument, but I told him, I said, Flounder is a good friend for uh, yeah. telling you these things. Yeah, he is. How are you doing, Fiddy? You ready to do your segment here? We don't have a lot of time. You have a lot <laughs> You have a lot to get to as well. Let's just go right into it. I like this. I like this topic for Fiddy's favorites. It's the best finals moments, Fiddy's favorite finals moments of all time. Fiddy, go ahead and take us to number five. Number five. The offense is running through me right now. Irving drives, hop step inside, floats it up, misses. Rebound taken by Iguodala. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James with the. Re- oh my goodness. All right, so you hear number five there, LeBron's block in Game Seven in Golden State. One of the rare times I've actually watched a LeBron James highlight. And had the same reaction that uh, Jeff Van Gundy had, Mike Breen had. It was just, oh, my God. Mike Breen being on the call makes everything better. And this one was no different. The fact that we have that. I think you could immediately pick what moment this was. And some of these calls are hard because, like, wait, what moment was that? But no, man, you remember this one. Mike Breen giving all the credit to LeBron James. No question about it. Having the game seven block. Maybe it even should be higher, to be honest. But I'm just happy it made a mention here in Fiddy's favorites that for finals That was the game moment. that made my baby cry. Is that right? That's right. That's the one. All right. <laughs> what you got next for us, Fiddy? Number four. All right, number four. I don't know what's going on. Um, No audio for this one, but we go to the 2018 finals, game three in Cleveland. The dagger three from Kevin Durant from the same spot that he hit one the year before, I'm pretty sure. Golden State would go up 3-0 with a 110-102 lead. And that was one of those moments where KD was just cold-blooded. Like, you know, was taking ownership of the series. My voice is going, I mean, to, it is going to die. It is. It's yeah. going to die. Yeah, We only, we only told you. I mean, look, here's the thing, right? You want to – we can help you out. Should we just do the rest of this segment? <laughs> where I just play the audio and you, you talk. just play the audio. And you talk about it. Is that what we should do? All right, yeah. It, the KD Clutch 3, maybe we can provide some analysis here. But that's why I always roll my eyes when, when people talk about how Kevin Durant winning the championship, getting the two finals MVPs, it doesn't count. The dude was awesome the right. entire way. It's why he was fantastic. All right, Fiddy, just go ahead and speak to us, view the voice guy, and also the best calls of all time. What you got next? Number three. Coming up on a minute remaining. Brian looking. Our test. That's a three. Bang! Lakers by six with a minute to play. Queensbridge in the building. I did not sit down. Pretty much from mid-first quarter through the rest of the game, I was so nervous. I wanted the Lakers to get that get back on the Celtics. I'm, You know, we talk about Petty West. I was upset that they won the title the year after they got blown sky high by the Celtics because it was the magic and I wanted the Celtics. So this game, I was very nervous. I wanted them to win the game. 
Meta World Peace hitting the big three and thanking his therapist post game was just legendary. <laughs> it was it was so legendary. The fact that he was able to do this in Game Seven, and might I remind you that for his career, here we are talking about lack of shooting. Meta World Peace, he actually shot something better than I thought. Thirty four percent for his entire career. He was nice from man. the NBA. Yeah, he was awesome and. Uh, had the one all-star appearance with Indiana when we have unfortunately had the malice. Of the and the malice. one guy Kobe Bryant was scared of. Or that, that I guess, that he really deeply respected. Well, in the all-time clip of Tyler Hansborough about to pop off. And then he looks and it's Ron. He said, oh, it's Ron. Sorry, Ron. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like, okay, yeah, we don't we don't buck up to Metal World Peace. Number two. What you got, Fiddy? Number two. Come up on a minute remaining. And they're putting Curry in the pick and roll trying to get him on Irvin. Irving and Curry, one-on-one. Irving puts it up. It's good. Kyrie Irving from downtown. In game seven, to complete the 3-1 comeback for Cleveland, Kyrie Irving hits the dagger three himself. And part of me doesn't want to read verbatim what's on this just to torture Fiddy. Oh, no, you got to do it. <laughs> Go ahead, Fiddy. You got, you got enough voice for a couple more sentences. All right. Number two was titled, Kyrie Irving Saves LeBron's Ass. Yeah, that's number two. Was that list. moment the pretty much the end of Kyrie Irving's career as like an elite player as far as impacting winning? Viewed with any kind of endearment, yes. I would say so. I think absolutely that was the last one. He wanted out. Didn't want to be with LeBron anymore. Right. And it has not gone well for him. Last one. What you got, Fiddy? Number one. To the Spurs foul. To Miami go for the three right away. Just attack the basket. James catches, puts up the three. Won't go. Rebound box. Back out to Allen. History title. Go ahead, Fiddy. You can read this one, too. After Kyrie Irving saves LeBron's ass, what do you have as number one? This one is titled Ray Allen saves LeBron's <laughs> ass. My favorite part of that cut, uh, though, is Jeff Van Gundy, like, in full coach mode, just attacked the basket. Because, like, that was an area you didn't – it was always you played for oh, the yeah. two and you would and stand in the game. They're still out there. Those, those people are still out there saying, hey, you have time for a quick two. And I just want to pull my hair out. Go for the three-pointer. Don't go for the quick two. All you're doing is postponing the inevitable. Best moment in NBA Finals history was this. The, it wasn't even a game seven, by game, the way. Yeah, game six. But still crazy. Personally or just holistically? Whichever one you want to roll with. <laughs> Personally, not really. This is one of those remember where you were moments. I thought oh, the yeah. Spurs had it. I was ready to pop off about how LeBron wasn't that guy. Thought they had the game won, and then this moment happened, and I was like, you got to be kidding me. And at that <laughs> moment, I knew the series was done. No matter what San Antonio did, the Heat were going to get that championship. It, I remember where I was, too. I think most people do. This is I don't have a problem with this one being number one, which is weird because it is not yeah, the ultra-drama Game 7-filled shot. It did not decide the series, but it did complete Vegas. a comeback that allowed LeBron to have another championship as well as that shot just being uh, crazy improbable. But, I mean, think about the awareness where Ray Allen is in the corner. To know he could not bring that heel down, he just caught it and flicked it with his wrist. It's crazy. They said he practices that shot all the time. They said everything Ray Allen does in games, he practices it over and over again. That's why he did that so fluid. They said he does it all the time. 
All right, let's talk a little bit more about the Carolina Panthers after Fitty's favorites right there. How do you like the depth with this team compared to last year's? And Sports Illustrated had a glowing review on one position in particular. We'll get to that in the last hour of Wes and Walker. You're listening to Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ.